Hey you, welcome to Evolve, the show to help you become a hero and solve the world's greatest challenges. I'm your host, Brandon Stover, founder of Plato University, and I interview social innovators, entrepreneurs, and thinkers about the global problems we face and the solutions they have created to solve them. Today's challenge, education. Our guest is Victoria Ransom, founder and CEO of Prisma, the world's first connected learning network for K through 12 that fully replaces regular school. Victoria's track record as a serial entrepreneur comes from developing three companies, including Wildfire, which was acquired by Google in 2012 for $450 million. But after having three children, Victoria and her husband and co-founder, Elaine Chouard, wondered could they prepare their children to thrive in a tumultuous, ever-changing world. So they set out to reimagine what school could be. And today, Victoria is going to share what she discovered was wrong with the traditional education system and how Prisma was designed to change this paradigm. This interview is part of the series of research interviews on the education crisis and how we can solve it. If you want to hear the other experts, please visit evolvethe.world slash research slash education. Well, to help our listeners understand the problem from first principles, what are the root or core problems with traditional education now? There are a few. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, I, I would say there's no one education that suits every kid. So there are some kids for whom the traditional model of education seems to work pretty well. And ironically, I was probably one of those kids. But then I think there's a whole bunch of kids for whom it doesn't work really well. And for a number of reasons, one, one of the first things that comes to mind is just this very sort of conveyor belt nature of education, where kids come in at a certain age, and because they're that age, then they're put in a certain grade level. And because they're that grade level, they're expected to know certain things and to move at a certain pace. Right. And so the kids that are capable of moving faster, too bad. They just have to be a bit bored or a bit frustrated. And the kids that need a little more time, unfortunately, get left behind. And, and so you have kids that are expected to move into fifth grade, but they never really fully grasp fourth grade. So then that problem only compounds. So I think this inability of the traditional education system to differentiate based on kids differing speeds of learning. And even with the same kid, you can have one kid that can move very fast and is very advanced in math, but needs to really take their time with writing, for example, or reading. So that is one of the problems. Another problem is I just think there's been a loss of focus on the inherent joy of learning. Mm. That learning is amazing. It's interesting. It's exciting. I think kids are born wanting to learn, watch yes. a little kid at play, and they are they are working all day long at play and they're learning. And somewhere along the way, focus on testing is one of the reasons which I'll touch on, but just we've forgotten that learning can and should be really exciting and really interesting and really engaging. And if you don't start with that, how can we really expect kids to bring their full selves right. to, to school if they're not loving it? And yeah, t testing, I think, is one piece of the problem that takes away the joy of learning. Um, you know, it's again this focus on making sure that kids know certain things, which I think it takes away a lot of the creativity that teachers would otherwise like to bring to the classroom. It puts pressure on teachers to move at a certain speed, it puts pressure on kids. And, you know, some kids are good at taking tests, lots of kids are not. And so then they can't really demonstrate their learning in a way that is most effective for them. So t testing is a problem. I think it's just 
the focus on traditional education of knowledge and knowledge recall right. and also breaking um, learning up into academic disciplines, which is not how the world works. No. And so, you know, we certainly have a perspective at Prisma that learning should be interdisciplinary because that's how it makes more sense and also because that is how the world works and that it should be as hands-on and applied to the real world as possible. I think for so many kids, they sit in classrooms and they say, why am I learning this? When will I ever need this? Right. Which again, takes away that motivation. But there are many ways to apply the learning that kids do in schools to real world problems that are relevant to kids. And again, that's something we, we focus a lot on at Prisma. So that I, I could keep going, yeah. but those are some of the bigger things that come to mind. No, I think a, a big part of it is this shift from the intrinsic motivation that we're born with you know yes. humans are very malleable we're not an animal that's already born with everything programmed we're programmed to keep learning to adapt and we shift that from intrinsic to intrinsic yep. things like grades and yep. trying to get into a college or fitting in these subject silos and i think that's a, a real crime for the students yeah because then you get out into a world where you're not given a b c d grades anymore and right. you have to learn to find your own motivation and to find your own way and yeah i absolutely agree kids are naturally intrinsically motivated to learn and challenge themselves but it gets taken away along through the, through the process through the system yeah as an entrepreneur with not previous experience within the education space how did you approach researching it so that you truly understood these problems and the needs of your learners as happens with a lot of entrepreneurs i think it came from our own personal needs so my husband and i are the founders of prisma and we started reaching ed researching education because of our own three children, the oldest of which was approaching a kindergarten age. And as she did, we started to really question how we wanted to educate our kids. In our case, it's it's because we live in an area, it actually there's no lack of great schools, or at least schools that are highly regarded, but there's a lot of pressure put on mm. kids. And so that's what sort of led us on a path of wanting to understand what other ways there are of educating kids. And so through sort of our own motivation, we, we first looked at innovative schools in our neighborhood, and then we looked at innovative schools in uh, more globally. And then we looked at different models of schooling, like micro schooling. And eventually we looked into homeschooling. And through all of that, that both gave us a pretty good breadth, I think, of insight into different ways to educate kids. And what we discovered is there's actually no shortage of really innovative, exciting schools out mm. there, but they tend to be sort of one-off, one little interesting school in this area, usually private, usually really expensive. And so whilst there are lots of really interesting schools, very few kids are getting access to them. And so that was one of the things that really motivated us to look beyond just oh, what's the ideal educational model for our own kids to think about? Well, now that we've started to crystallize views about this, could we create an approach to education that would bring some of these more innovative methods that really get kids excited and, and tailor education to their particular needs and, and speed of learning? Could we do it in a way that could reach large numbers of kids if it really works, which yeah. was part of the motivation for having a virtual home-based approach to, to Prisma? In your research, what did you come across in the other systems outside of education that are really exacerbating the problems that are within education? 
a few things come to mind. Uh, one is just the inequality in the system. So the fact that the resource allocation given to schools is so incredibly different across different neighborhoods. And I think it's that problem exists around the world, but it's really exacerbated in the US given that property taxes are used to allocate school funding. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, there's problems enough in the system, but then when you have some schools being given far greater resources than others, much better teachers, much better resources, that just creates a whole other level of problems. And it's so often the kids that anyway were at a disadvantage because they weren't getting the preschool education or they weren't getting as much focus on education in their homes for a variety of reasons then go into schools that are inherently not as good from day one that's a big problem this is not exactly not related to education but it is you know it is uh different from k-12 education that is university education Mm. i think the university system is really stifling innovation in the k-12 system because it's just got such a hold on entry the entryway into careers so you know there's there's such a sense and it's true that you have to have a college degree to have a great career and now it's sort of even you have to have a master's degree (laughs) you know it's upping the ante and therefore there is so much focus on and fear from parents and and their teenage kids about getting into college and you know it's believed that to get into college you have to have good grades a good gpa you have to have taken advanced placement courses you have to have tested well which really encourages the focus on all of these sort of more traditional approaches to education that we just discussed with the extrinsic motivation and the focus on knowledge recall and i think it just even with parents who can look and school administrators and teachers who can look and say this is not the best way for me to educate my kid this kid they are so focused on on not taking any risks that would mess up this path to college that you just plow forward doing what doesn't seem right to the kid so i think yeah that that is a whole system which sort of uh you know stifles risk-taking and creativity in the K-12 education system, I think. Yeah. Well, your guys' proposed solution is a new innovative online school called Prisma. Can you share with our listeners what Prisma is and how it's different than a traditional school? Sure. So we are a uh, comprehensive solution for fourth through eighth graders, currently focused on fourth through eighth, who are learning from home or, frankly, from anywhere they like, anywhere in the world. We are not like a typical online school though i would say sort of online schools have tended to take the traditional model of education (laughs) and deliver it online which to some in some respects is the worst of both worlds (laughs) so you know they still have grades and they still have lectures you know some online schools that we know of your kids can't even talk they just have to listen they still have textbooks they may be delivered electronically but they feel a lot like textbooks and so we are very different from that because we're very much focused on project-based learning, sort of hands-on learning, interdisciplinary, tying learning to the real world. We're very much focused on kids moving at their own pace, sort of slotting into math at whatever level they're at with math and reading with whatever level they're at with reading. So we take a very innovative um, or progressive approach to education and deliver it online. We are very different from traditional homeschooling 
because uh, we focus a lot on community and making Prisma a very social experience. So kids are a part of a cohort of kids that they see and interact with and learn with really regularly. You know, they start their day every day with the same small group of kids and their coach with what we call stand-ups, which are very much based on community building and, and sharing with one another and social emotional development. Our workshops are super interactive. It's the kids that are discussing and collaborating. And, you know, in, in those cases, it's the adult in the room is the facilitator, not the mm. sort of sage on the stage. The other thing is that we have coaches. They have small group of kids that they get to know really, really well, and they are there to help Bring out the best in that child, understand what they're excited about, understand what they're capable of, give them very rich iterative feedback because we don't have grades at Prisma. We believe in the process of giving feedback to a kid as they're working their way through a project or through a piece of writing so that that learner can go back and revise. And theoretically, by the time they finish, it is their best work versus sort of the traditional approach where a kid does an assignment, gets a grade, moves on and never gets a chance to go back. And even if you get an A, there's always room to do better. Right. Always room to do better. So very different from uh, homeschooling, but have some similarities. And then, of course, you know, we're, we're different from traditional bricks and mortar schooling in that it is a fully virtual model that's very flexible. Well, I say fully virtual. We have some in-person elements where we mm. have clusters of kids in the same area. So it's just a very flexible model. Kids have flexibility around their schedule. They have geographic flexibility. So we have some Prisma families that are literally world schooling right mm. now. So yeah, we, we think it is taking some of the best elements from some of the best models out there, but repurposing them in a way that's a, a really very different approach to education. One that's very flexible to the needs of the child, very flexible to sort of our changing world we very much believe in prisma being something that's that's constantly changing and that we're constantly iterating and we're constantly bringing in subject matter that relates to you know what's happening today or what's going to happen in the future and then very flexible to the needs of the family because schedule and geography are flexible too yeah 100 very comprehensive before we dive into some of the specifics that you touched on on a high level what do you think the purpose of education or schooling should be Oh, great question. Because I think we've forgotten that. I, th I think <laughs> somewhere along the way, we came to believe that schooling is for kids to get good test scores, or perhaps to get into college. I, I think education is to prepare kids to really thrive in their adult lives. Mm -hmm. And ideally, to want to uh, positively contribute to their communities and their worlds mm. in their adult lives. Yeah, that, that, that is ultimately what we should be doing at school is, is giving kids the tools they need to really thrive as adults and to be positive members of society. But I think along the way, we've narrowed it down to sort of school is school is succeeding if you get good test scores or or perhaps school is a school is doing well if you get kids into college. But you know, the, this giving kids the tools and the mindset and the skills they'll need to succeed in adult life. You can't wait until college for that. You've got to start really young. That's when kids are most sponge-like and malleable, I think. Well, from the elements that you mentioned in the description of Prisma, can you walk me through, if I was a learner today, what a day in the life of a student would be like? Yeah, absolutely. So it is a mix of synchronous experiences and asynchronous because there's a lot of value to getting kids together live, but you shouldn't be doing that all 
all day long, like mm. some schools did do during yes. COVID. That gets exhausting. Plus, there's a lot of efficiency to having kids learn at their own pace, working asynchronously on projects. And like I said, Prisma is flexible, so no kid... No two kids have exactly the same Prisma day because we actually, one of the first things that a coach will do with a learner and their parent is create a custom schedule that really works best for that child based on when they like to start their day or particular extracurriculars that they have. But roughly a Prisma day will look like the following. Starts with stand up. Some kids may do some of their asynchronous project work or what we call missions before stand-up. Others won't. But stand-up is, uh, like I said, same group of kids, same coach. They get together every day, except Fridays. Fridays are actually even more flexible and open at Prisma. But uh, Monday through Thursday. And stand-up is focused on sort of building community and a support group for kids. There's quite often sort of sharing with one another how you're doing, how you're feeling, what's going on in your life. Okay. Talking about what's happening in the world. Sometimes there's just playing fun interactive games and team games and that sort of thing. So that really the stand-up groups build tight community. And then, you know, there's usually a block of time where kids would be working on their projects. We do, we're really focused on project-based learning. Then they have uh, one main daily workshop. Sometimes there's more than one, but usually kids are not doing more than usually their uh, live time is between 90 minutes and two and a half hours max each day but among the uh, live workshops that kids might have on a given day we have uh, ethical decision making workshop which is really we give kids real scenarios usually something that really happened in the world or at least an adaptation of that and they have to work their way through you know decision making related to that scenario recently the kids were actually told on their first day, first day of ethical decision making workshop congratulations you've been chosen to be the first members of the first mission to mars and then the whole workshop over a series of five weeks because we operate in five week cycles mm -hmm. um, and each cycle has a theme was a series of ethical decisions the kids had to make in the context of their space mission the first decision was turns out there's one seat free here's a here's a different people that could fill that last seat you know a wealthy billionaire that could help to finance this mission or we could do a lottery system so it is truly you know everybody has the same chance or we could bring a journalist on board so that we can document what's going on and there's no right answer right the kids have to work their way through that so we have ethical decision making workshops we have problem solving workshops where kids are working in small groups to solve real problems often in a hands-on way so we have our daily workshops kids also work through what we call missions so they have math missions and writing missions and reading missions which really sort of augment and reinforce the interdisciplinary work that they're doing in their projects so they'd have a block of time set aside maybe one kid wants to focus mondays on their math mission maybe another kid actually does better by doing smaller chunks so they'll do mm -hmm. a little bit of their math mission and a little bit of their writing mission we have student-run clubs that are scattered throughout the week although a lot of those uh, run on fridays and then we will build breaks into a kid's schedule so there'll be a break for some kind of physical activity whatever the kid is into that we build into their schedule but yeah it's it's most prisma learners would be roughly working on their prisma work but there's some breaks in between from let's say 
9 till 2.30 or 3. And the idea is they're done then. There's no mm. wrangling over homework in the evenings. There's no sort of spend all day in school and then come home and do all of your sort of practice work in the evenings and right. go to bed late. You get your work done during the day and, and the rest of the day is is free for you to pursue other interests. Yeah, very nice. Speaking to the independent learning routines that students do asynchronously, how do you guys personalize each student's learning routine so it's specific to their interests or their capabilities? In a couple of ways. One is by trying to get to know the needs and interests of the child as much as we can. And that's where you have a mentor coach who frankly gets better and better at that over time. Mm. But when a, a learner first joins Prisma, you know, there is a an initial meeting or several between the child and the mentor coach and the parent where they would learn things like you know what is this child particularly interested in are they um, really interested in coding should we build some time into their uh, learning routine for them to spend time coding are they particularly interested in learning a language let's build time in for that so it's sort of interest do they have certain extracurriculars we're trying to work around so they're sort of making sure we um have time for their interests and their schedule. We also have kids take it. It's a nationally recognized assessment in math and in reading. And we have our own writing assessment. And that is so that we can slot them in at the best possible level for where they're at with math. So we put kids together into math groups, for example, that are working on the same, what we call math mission, which is a mix of adaptive math apps and our own problems that we create and sort of real world application of what the kids are learning. And they can get to choose from different sort of real world scenarios that they're trying to solve, mm. use the math they've been learning to solve. But, and then we have live math workshops and math support groups. But, you know, we might have a fifth grader that's actually doing seventh grade math, or although we won't tell them you're in the seventh grade math group, they're just in a, it's, we actually use the names of mathematicians. Oh, nice. But perhaps for writing, they're actually more like at a fourth grade level. And so they would be with other kids that are more at a fourth grade level mm -hmm. in writing. So we also you know, have an assessment at the beginning before they join Prisma to try to make sure we're slotting them in to the best possible Le the level that's most appropriate to them and then we will adjust if if somehow that's not working yeah. then as the coach gets to see and know and understand that learner better and better we'll just make adjustments to the schedule we'll make adjustments to the level that they're working at it's one of the things that our coaches really talk about a lot and value is how amazing and wonderful it is for them to be able to get to know to have the time they need to get to know kids really, really well. What makes them tick, what's exciting for them, what they're capable of. Uh, because I think in a tr coming back to the traditional sort of system, teachers are stretched so thin. They just, as much as they wish they could have time to get to know every kid at a very deep level, they don't have time for that. And so that's something that Prisma's put a lot of focus on. Speaking a little bit from the logistical side, I and mean, thinking about like traditional education, a lot of times they produce the same curriculum for everybody because it's able to scale for, you know, X amount of kids. Yeah. When you have, you know, I think your cohort was around 30 students, your, your first one? Uh, the first year, yeah. Yes. So when you have 30 students coming in and they each have personalized curriculum or learning paths, how do you start to scale that or that. make it manageable? Right. And, you know, now we're much more than 30. We're all, almost 100 kids. So now we're trying to yes. scale that across. We do it 
through by offering choice because one of the things we've actually learned and i think this may be different at the high school level but at the sort of fourth through eighth grade level is it is really important to give kids choice and to empower kids to have sort of responsibility over their learning and over their their schedules and choice over what what they're learning but giving them sort of complete open choice like you can do whatever you want is actually paralyzing for most kids at that age so we have sort of a model of kids always get choice but within some boundaries And, and part of the reason for creating boundaries is one you know if you just create complete open book you can do it you can learn whatever you want today most kids find that pretty overwhelming the other is we found it's really nice to unify have you un- some unification of what the learners at prisma are focusing on because then they can have richer discussions and they can collaborate on projects what we do at prisma is i, I mentioned before we operate in five week cycles and each cycle has a theme it's a broad theme so that there's a lot of room for kids to go in different directions with that theme but it is a theme that sort of nevertheless unifies everything the kids are doing during those five weeks so for example themes at prisma have included cities of the future we just finished a theme called uncharted territories where kids will learn space exploration and deep sea exploration and there's a lot of stem learning there we've done inventor studio where kids were real inventors and they were learning all about the design thinking process hidden histories was a history focus but really looking at u.s history from the perspective of lessons we can learn today but within that kids are able to choose from different they can go in different directions so basically every five weeks kids are working on a project and they actually present their project at the end of the five weeks at an expo day where the whole prisma community and parents and grandparents show up you know a prisma the prisma cycle starts off with kids just generally learning about the theme and we curate a whole library of podcasts and videos and articles and um, infographics that kids can choose what interests them most related to the theme so there's a bunch of choice in there you know different kids can go in different directions and then they actually spend the next week of the cycle working on a bunch of little mini projects that enable them to sort of explore the theme figure out what areas interest them most and you know apply their skills to different areas so again our curriculum team creates a whole library of little mini projects you know with cities of the future they ranged from kids a project where kids could go outside with you know household materials and build a real rocket that actually launched really high and (laughs) and they had to reflect on that what they learned and document it to another option was to create a, a ted talk about related to cities of the future or they could learn about natural disasters in their area and come up with a real disaster readiness plan for their family so you know a whole range of mini projects lots of choice there for kids to go in the direction they want to go in and then kids work on their main project that they spend the rest of the cycle working on and that they present at expo day and again there's a number of different projects that kids can choose from with cities of the future it ranged from a project that was very much focused on public art and the importance of public art in cities to a project that was focused on building a city on Mars and the future, the long, long term future of cities to environmentally friendly building techniques and kids learning about that and coming up with their own environmentally friendly building. Some kids did in Minecraft, some kids did with real materials and then writing a letter to your city council, arguing why your building should get funding. And then we also, for kids that really full flexibility, we have the option of kids to design their own project. So Mm. 
it is really excited about some area that our choice of projects is not touching on they can write a project proposal you know they have to really think about it they have to meet certain criteria to make sure that we're they're really going to stretch themselves and they're really going to get the sort of key learnings from the cycle but they can come up with their own project so you know there's uh, a bunch of different directions that kids could go in but nevertheless it is unified by sort of all the kids are learning about uh, the same broad theme yeah what i love about this as approach is I think as educators, our job is not to deliver information, but rather like curate information. Because when we get into the real world and we come across the problem, our job as a person is going to be able to go find a solution. And we have to be able exactly. to learn from different things and be able to find that information on our own rather than have it, you know, force fed to us. And so in this totally approach, agree. you know, you're curating information that you think will help them. And then they kind of get to decide from that. They may use one resource, didn't really help them learn much. So they try a different one out and this one helped them learn much better. And they start right. to build that muscle for themselves. Right. And the other thing that's beautiful about curating, and we do do a lot of curating, is then you can cherry pick from the best resources that right. are out there. And so the, you know, the best adaptive math apps, and, and for one kid, it may be different than another kid, or the best videos that are out there on a particular topic, or the best podcasts, you're not writing all your own curriculum because the best resources are already there you've just got to help bring them together and give kids access to them in many cases so yeah but we do put a lot of focus at, at prisma on research kids knowing where to find good sources of information mm. how do you evaluate what is a good resource and a good source of information we definitely have that philosophy that that you just said of of T teach a kid to fish, right? Like right. Teach them where they can find the information and then they can go out and learn anything they like. Absolutely. One of the things that you were mentioned was these five week cycles. And I'm curious, why five weeks? And then how do you decide which themes to be moving on to next? You know, there is some research out there that suggests that five or six weeks is a really good length of time, long enough for kids to sort of really dig into a topic, but not so long that they're, you know, start to lose interest in that mm. topic. Th that is one reason. The other reason is sort of the length of the year and trying to, we also have a, a service learning cycle at Prisma that we, it's three weeks that we fit in. So between that and trying to cover, we, we end up with six cycles, which felt like a really good number in a year sure. so that we could, you know, some of the cycles are more STEM focused, some of them are more humanities focused, Focused and we sort of between the desire to cover a range of topics and a range of disciplines and the length of the year and what is an ideal length of a cycle we came up with five weeks I think six weeks would have also been a good length topics or themes we come up with in a variety of ways we do poll the kids to see what they're really interested in because behind these themes is uh, a lot of really careful thought about what the kids are going to actually be focusing on. What are the outcomes of that right. cycle? So it may be that it's very sort of collaboration focused or another theme may be very communication focused. It may be that it's uh, sort of more STEM focused and we have these particular STEM outcomes we really want kids to achieve or we have, you know, we really want kids to be exposed to learning more about governance systems. And so that's what this particular theme will focus on. But based on sort of the outcomes we have for the year, then there's a number of different themes we could choose. And the curriculum team will sort of lay out a number of different themes that might really meet sort of the, the goals of the year. And then kids get to choose between mm -hmm. them. So we poll the kids to see what they're most interested in. And then obviously, 
obviously the themes themselves we're not we're picking them on the basis of we think kids will find this really interesting really sure. meaningful really relevant to their lives so sort of that combination is how we come up with the themes okay excellent in the discussion about your guys's project uh based approach moving them i think it's great moving them you know through uh, research and then experimentation creation and then presentation and all culminating in what you call the expo day and so i was hoping you would explain you know what the expo day is and how it encourages and celebrates the student to have them really enjoy learning and yeah. further that intrinsic motivation so expo day it happens you know at the end of every cycle we get a wonderful turnout of families you know i I, I think everybody shows up that that's always there's at least someone there for every kid to watch mm -hmm. what they've done and every learner gets a chance to present what they've done and not just sort of here's my project here's what i did but we ask the kids to reflect what what did you really learn from this what did you find was the hardest you know sometimes we ask kids to sort of show the iteration like this was v1 and this was v2 because we believe a lot at prisma in this idea of iteration and sure. sort of constantly going back and refining and so uh, you know there's prior to expo day the kids have practice days with their coach and other learners where they give feedback and really refine their presentation and it is both a chance for kids to showcase their work and frankly it gives them that extra little layer of motivation of you know i'm going to be presenting this so i want to do my best and that is quite effective i would say it is a chance to celebrate so we make it very very positive you know it's it's all about giving you should see the chat during uh, expo day is just blowing up from other from adults in the room but especially from kids saying, way to go and this is amazing but it's also a very constant practice for kids to present mm. in front of an audience which for some kids is really scary at the beginning and so right. we ease kids into it and some learners will choose to pre-record their expo day presentation the first few times until they get comfortable with with going live but they all learn to do it over time and they all get better and better and we will have different sort of goals at each expo day in terms of the presentation skills of kids as well so at the beginning kids all have sort of word for word scripts that they're <laughs> reading off and over time we we get them to get comfortable with the idea of not having to write a script and mm. being a little more natural and in their presentation style so yeah expo day has just been a great celebration of the effort that the kids are putting in a great mechanism to get kids to go that extra mile and a really great way to get kids comfortable with presenting in front of a group yeah what an excellent skill to to be learning especially in this age as much as we do give presentations now that we're able all to do it virtually yeah because it turns out we're all doing a lot of virtual work nowadays so yeah because my kids are very comfortable with that speaking of the motivators you guys give kids badges rather than grades prisma mm -hmm. how has the students reacted to this how has the parents and then if students are going on to other schools how have they seen it rather than seeing like a transcript of grades so a badge is really just a body of work that you will get if you meet the requirements or meet what's expected of that so it's it's not sort of any kind of reward system it's really just you know you did a fantastic job with your cities of the future project you have got your cities of the future badge and you know we've had very little concern from parents about why is my kid not getting a grade and i think it's because they can see 
that we really are, there are still high expectations for kids. Mm -hmm. It's just that it's being delivered in a different way, which is this iterative feedback process that, that I mentioned where, you know, no kid is just sort of half doing a project and then getting their badge. They're getting feedback from their coach and they have to go back and iterate and revise and, and really, you know, we really do lay out there's certain with a Prisma project, there's steps along the way where a coach and a learner can see this is what you should have achieved thus far in the project. Have you done that? Did you really nail sort of all the expectations? If not, go back and, and do it. And so if anything, I think it puts higher expectations on kids than sure. grades do. With and them so kind not, of reflecting on it as they go. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. They have to reflect. Exactly. Thus far, I mean, we're still very new. We've only had a fairly small number of kids that have gone on to high school, but we've had you know there was no issue with kids not having letter grades on their transcript i mean we put together sort of a portfolio based transcript okay. that actually is very rich with information about that learner it ranges from you know we we do this nationally recognized assessment so we have data that's sort of nationally normed that we can put on a kid's transcript we have we're able to can sort of convert all the workshops and the missions and the projects that kids do into what look like recognizable bodies of work or classes that kids have done. So that's easily recognized by schools. We're able to, our coaches write very rich assessments of the kids, written sort of narrative assessments of the kids every trimester, which we can provide on the kids' transcripts. So I think if anything, you know, we provide much more information about kids. Yeah. Than typical transcript uh, and we have had a couple of prisma learners that have gone on to highly selective private schools and they were accepted and the information we were able to provide about them was you know more than enough mm. for them to get accepted so yeah it hasn't hasn't been a constraint for us very nice speaking to the community aspect like community is something very hard to foster online and many of the online schools whether they're k through 12 or higher education like have not been able to do it very well mm -hmm. what are some of the things that you guys do to foster community we we're mentioning the stand-ups before and like group activities what what do those things look like you know the funny thing is i would say going into prisma it was one of the things we worried most about can kids make friends in a virtual environment right. and already within our you know day three of our of our kickoff week when we started prisma we were already like you know what I don't think we needed to worry too much about that. Like we were hearing from parents and from kids that they were making friends and they really felt super excited to be a part of the community. And, and we've surveyed kids and a hundred percent of Prisma kids have said that they have friends at Prisma. They feel a part of a strong community. How, how have we done that? I think it is through the smaller groupings of kids and the ability for them to really interact a lot when mm. they are together. And that's synchronously and asynchronously. I mean, we have a, a, a chat community, we use Slack actually with the kids and they're chatting back and forth all day long. And you know, that that's interaction, that's interacting too. But whether it's the standups that is the same grouping of kids meeting on a very regular basis in ways where they can really share with one another, whether it's the workshops that are also, you know, small numbers of kids where they really do have to 
dissipate and they're frequently broken down into even smaller groups where there are you know groups of three or four or two or three kids are working together to solve something the clubs are you know really engaging and kids are really participating well in clubs collaborating on projects is something that kids do it's the opportunities that we give kids to really get to know one another in small groupings and they're all part of this cohort of kids that's not very large i mean hmm. a prisma cohort is 80 kids and you're getting to know those kids in different ways you have certain kids in your math group that you're getting to know you have certain kids in your book club that you're getting to know it just creates a really easy natural way for kids to make friendships and yeah. you know we had, we had our first summer break for prisma because we, we knew enough that we've only gone through one summer break and it was just amazing to hear from parents like oh my 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 kid is hanging out with Prisma kids all throughout the summer. They were nice. jumping online to chat by Zoom or they were playing games together or whatever it was. They kept up those contacts, mm. which was really nice to hear. Yeah, that's awesome that it's uh, continuing to transfer. I've seen on your guys' website Prisma Live. And how does that mm -hmm. help with the synchronous part of learning at Prisma? Right. Yeah. So we've built our own live learning platform. So basically a zoom replacement that's really been built with uh sort of fourth through eighth graders in mind and and really being built in mind with the idea of creating a very collaborative engaging live learning experience so we've just built you know a number of features into prisma live that either make it much easier for a coach to provide a really engaging experience or that make it much more fun and social for kids. Mm. So, for example, there's a lot of research that shows that part of the fatigue that comes from Zoom meetings or video meetings is just that you're sort of staring at the same <laughs> sure. face for a long time. And usually when you're in a room, you're sort of looking around at the room and you're right. getting your so, and you know, there's a lot of research that shows the more you can kind of vary what people are seeing during a live video experience, the um, more engaging it is, but also the less exhausting it is. And so we, Prisma Workshop is actually sort of quite a carefully curated experience where it might start off with some background information that's presented in a really visually pleasing way and then there might be some kind of poll or something that gets the kids or to sort of give their initial thoughts and and then there might be some kind of breakout activity and so on and so forth and so in zoom you've got coaches that are trying to manage a whole bunch of tabs and i've got this youtube video here i need to play and then i have this document that the kids are going to be collaborating in i need to try to look across and so we've basically set it up so in prisma Live, the curriculum team can put in different chapters and mm. it just seamlessly moves through as the coach sort of okay click to the next chapter in this workshop click to the next chapter so that they can focus on what's happening with the kids sure. instead of focusing on sort of managing everything breakout rooms are a really important part of online learning and making sure that kids are really participating and so with something like zoom you've got a coach that just has to sort of jump from room to room interrupt what's going on try to get a read of what's going on does this group need help do they not need help with prisma live the coach can actually stay in the main room and the kids know that this is happening listen in to what's happening in all the different rooms and be able to just get a sense like oh there's very little conversation happening in this room let me jump in and see what's going on or yeah. there's 
very animated conversation happening in this room. Let me just check that all is well. And so it just enables the coaches to be much more effective in mm. when they're giving help. For the kids, you know, we've we've just made it uh, possible for kids to really personalize their space and their avatar. Nice. We really, things like emojis, you know, Prisma, one of the downsides of Prisma Expo Day is the kids are are these beautiful presentations but you can't do sort of applause or you know make a big deal in the same way you can in a real space and so we've created sort of these like emoji explosions so you can really show your love and show your excitement about what someone is doing so just the little touches that make it really fun for kids you know ability for coaches to be able to very easily tell who hasn't spoken for a while or who's dominating the room and I need to make sure someone else gets heard. Those sort of things is what we've built into Prisma Live. This is something amazing that I see a huge advantage for online schools because they are able to create these seamless experiences. You know, you're talking about all these different pieces of information or activities that you're pulling in and it's a seamless experience for the learners where if you try and do that, you know, in a physical classroom, you're trying to pull all these chairs together or you got to run and go get this uh, thing from a different room or whatever. It's a huge advantage for online schools, I think. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's, it's a bit what we were talking about before that the best content is already out there. You right. need to pull it together. But trying to do that in a classroom, like here's this amazing two minute YouTube video about this topic. And here's it, you know, we have things like Peer Deck we use a lot where the kids can collaborate. They can write down their thoughts and then go and read what everybody else has write, written and write down their comments. I mean, doing that in a regular classroom means trying to put post-it notes everywhere <laughs> and it's going to take five times longer and trying to play a couple of YouTube videos in a regular classroom is going to just like disrupt everything probably and take a long time and therefore you you're left with the teacher having to explain something to you right. and the odds that that teacher is the most engaging person to pass on this information to you is slim it's unlikely that they are the most engaging person in the world for passing on that information so yeah i agree there's there's constraints in a physical classroom that you don't have virtually well in another interview i heard you mention that students going through prisma had grown 175% in their literacy rates and 150% in math. And you can double check me on those numbers. What are the other results or outcomes that you've seen with Prisma that speak to its effectiveness? Great question. Yeah, because we care just as much that kids are developing their communication skills, their critical thinking skills, their what we call designer's mindset. is something we focus on a lot at Prisma. We care as much about that as what their academic growth is, if, if not more, frankly, because we really think when you get into the real world, those are the things that make the difference between you really thriving and having a lot of options in your career and not. Mm. They are harder to measure, though. Yeah. I think that yeah. that is perhaps what one of the reasons why schools end up focusing so much on just sort of standardized testing because it's something that's measurable i'm not sure how much it tells you really but it looks like it tells you something right so we have through surveying of parents sort of when their kid comes in and in the middle of the year and at the end of the year how do you think your child's collaboration skills have developed their critical thinking skills their ethical decision making their sort of design designer's mindset that is one measure it's not perfect but we've we had a hundred percent of parents saying that they'd seen significant growth from their kids across mm. those sort of key outcomes that we look for in prism of problem solving and collaboration and communication and designer's mindset and follow through is another thing that we really 
focus a lot on sort of your ability to be independent and follow through on something. So based on parents' perceptions, kids are growing a lot in all of those areas. We also ask coaches to sort of assess kids, the mentor coach of kids, how do they think they've grown and coaches across the board saw growth in all of those areas. I think it's an area where we want to get better and better at how do we how do we truly assess that kids are developing in those areas? And I think we've we've got some ideas sort of where you can have really carefully created projects that would really, that a kid could do maybe at the beginning of the year and the end of the year that would really be able to show the difference between mm. how their, their skills have developed. But that is something we look at and really excited to see the growth that least coaches and parents are perceiving. In yeah. Another thing that's really important to us is this love of learning, like sort of First and foremost, we want kids to be really excited about learning, about Prisma. We want them to love Prisma and love showing up each day. And so we do survey the kids. We, we survey the kids a lot and we survey parents <laughs> a lot, actually. Like they're our customers. So yes. we need to know what they think and we yes. need to react to what they think. And so one of the questions we ask is, how happy are you at Prisma relative to your previous school, whatever that was, and 100% of Prisma kids have said they're happier at Prisma than they are in their previous school. Maybe. So that is something that we really measure and track. So yeah, I think love of learning, academic growth as measured by the math and literacy stats that you just mentioned, which were very close, and sort of this perceived growth across these holistic skills are some of the things that we're really focusing on measuring. Amazing. Yeah. I was thinking, you know, to the project to assess, you know, how did they grow over that time period? I think to like in startups, when you're being hired as a software uh, developer or something, they have those technical tests right before mm -hmm. you go to get hired mm -hmm. for the thing. And something around that, you know, being able to showcase a skill, how it's grown is something that I think m might work there. Yeah. Yeah. And there's different, there are different sort of little quite easy assessments around creativity and how creativity is growing. So I think it is something we want to refine over time because it is so important that we that we focus on this holistic development and not get really hung up on sort of academic growth because that's really just one thing that's right. important about school. Right. Speaking of, you know, iterating and changing things, you guys work very much with a startup mentality and one of your, you know, values is iterating on that and changing what you're doing to not uh, rest on your laurels, get stuck in your ways, mm -hmm. much like the traditional education system has done. How has your model changed from your original assumptions and what hasn't worked as you've gone through? We've definitely made a number of changes. So one of the biggest ones I'd say is that we didn't start out with this idea of themes. Mm. We, we started out, we've, so we always had the idea of making learning relevant and tying it to the real world and giving kids choice. But the first iteration of Prisma basically had a bunch of different project options and in a given trimester that you might choose one science focused project and one sort of more humanities focused project or history focus and then the next trimester it might be not history but it's actually focused on some other area and there's a bunch of projects that you could choose from in there so it really honored choice and kids really did they were excited about what they were doing and the projects were very hands-on but we found that it, there wasn't enough 
unification among what the kids were doing. This one was off doing that and that one was off doing that. And just that there is so much learning that comes from kids sharing with each other what Mm. they are working on, giving feedback, collaborating. We felt something was missing there. And so the idea of themes and still giving kids a lot of choice within the theme, but that they were all both the workshops. I hadn't really, I haven't really talked about that, but the workshops are also tied to the theme. That was a change we made that has felt really successful and was a, a really good change. You know, we've, we've definitely played with different approaches of how, particularly I think how we do math at Prisma is something that we've evolved over time. If I'm Perfectly honest, I think the first iteration of math at Prisma was very heavily reliant on Khan Academy, sure. which is not uncommon for innovative schooling models, actually. It's, you know, if you scratch beneath the surface, there is a lot of schools just relying on, okay, go and do Khan Academy. To really evolving from there where, you know, because adaptive apps, whether it's Khan Academy or others, they're actually really amazing because you can truly go at the pace of a learner and you know if they're truly adaptive then if a kid gets something right then they get a harder problem if they get it wrong then it gets easier so they we you know they very much have their place at prisma but what you don't see when kids are working on apps like that is how did they arrive at their answer are they Mm. really truly understanding that what was the working behind it and so we've developed what we call math missions which are a mix of some adaptive app work and kids can choose based on what seems to work best for them. It's not Khan Academy, it's just one option. But also sort of carefully designed problems that that our curriculum team has designed where we ask kids to actually provide their working and their thinking so we can make mm-hmm. sure, okay, they got this result when they're working through the app, but they, were they really getting it? How were they arriving at their answers? And then this building in of sort of, okay, now that you've sort of been learned learned about algebraic thinking, here's some real problems that we want you to try solving using what you've learned. So this sort of mix of adaptive apps, which have their place in a really effective, this like carefully curated problems to make sure that kids really understand it, yeah. what they're doing, and then applying it to the real world. So that is, you know, how math has evolved at Prisma, and I mm-hmm. think it will continue to evolve, but it's certainly a big step up from where we were at. Yeah, I mean, it basically, every six weeks we survey the kids, and based on what we see, we we learn and we make mm-hmm. some tweaks to what we're doing, either big changes or smaller changes, but we're definitely constantly evolving. Love that. Well, I'd like to dive a little bit into your backstory some, and You've had a very successful career in startups. So your previous company, Wildfire, grew to profitability in just a year, had 400 employees, and then was acquired by Google for $450 million. And then you started having children and your worldview started changing. How did these two worlds collide that would lead you to building Prisma? So when we sold Wildfire to Google and when we left Google, we told ourselves, when I say we, it's my husband and I, we've actually run a number of companies together. We told ourselves whatever we do next, we want it to be something that could have a large positive impact on the world. We were really ready to be very mission driven and mission focused. And actually, you know, that led to a couple of years of of kind of spinning our wheels because once Mm. you decide you want to really contribute to the world's problems all you see are 
big problem. <laughs> right. It's really yes. hard to know what to focus on. It's like, well, we could focus on that. Oh, but there's this other problem. And will we have enough impact? And so the education, I think we're always interested in education, but hadn't really narrowed down to say we want to focus on education. As I mentioned earlier, it really came from our own kids that as our oldest started to approach school age, that led us to really question how we wanted to educate her, which got us really interested in education. And once we'd done all of that research and sort of crystallized this view of what we thought was a great way to educate kids, it felt like a waste to just do that for our own kids. And so then we got mm. really excited about the idea of could, could we deliver a more innovative approach of education to larger number of kids than is currently being done through sort of private or bricks and mortar schools. So yeah, that that's how that came about. And, you know, the, the focus on really diving deep into our own kids' education was partly selfish, to be perfectly honest, that we yeah. created this very flexible life for ourselves. <laughs> we said, if we start another company, it will be fully virtual. Like we wanted to be virtual long before COVID came along. Now, <laughs> sure. it's, now it's trendy. And, you know, with young kids, we were able to, I'm from New Zealand, my husband's from Switzerland. We we're able to spend time in our respective countries and that's important for us with our kids. And then we realized, wait, when the oldest goes to school, that flexibility will be gone. Right. So at a selfish level, we were interested in, are there more flexible schooling models mm. out there? Which is sort of what first got us looking at homeschooling. We subsequently loved a lot of what we saw with homeschooling because it is truly focused on the interests of the child, the speed of learning of the child. A lot of homeschool families do a wonderful job of tying learning to sort of the real world and the community. And so there's a lot to be inspired by with the way some ho families homeschool. But yeah, it was partly sort of this, is there a more flexible way to school? And then, like I said, where we live in the Bay Area, there's just a lot of pressure put on kids. And as a result, there, especially in teenagers, there's a lot of anxiety and mm. depression. And there are kids that on paper look so successful. Right. But inside, they're doubting themselves or they're feeling lost or they, you know, that sort of intrinsic motivation was lost a long time ago. And so we were concerned about that. And that was part of the search for looking for a different approach to educate our kids. For our listeners that are sitting in a similar boat, trying to, you know, struggling with deciding how they want to have an impact on the world. What did those conversations look like for you guys as you were going through those couple of years of taking a break? Well, it was a lot of sort of reading about i mean we had some sense for us we we pretty quickly narrowed down to education health and the environment are sort of areas that we're most passionate about and within that you know we just did a lot of reading about those topics and you know that often led to reaching out to people to have conversations about those topics so it was for us it was a lot of reading and learning and we, we cycled through i mean i make it sound like we sort of spun our wheels and then there was prisma we actually got really excited about something in the health space for a while and we prototyped and we worked on and then decided, you know, we're not quite sure if this is as good an idea as we thought it was going to be. And there's a couple of sort of attempts like that. But yeah, learning, iterating, ideating. We also gave ourselves a bit of a break. First year out of wildfire, out of Google was, you know, it's, we've earned a break. So we weren't sort of heads down focusing on a whole lot, actually, which was nice. Yeah. Speaking of doing tests and validating, was there anything you did for a test or MVP to validate 
the model of Prisma before doing your first full program? <laughs> well, the the good answer would be yes, of course. The true answer is no. Mm. We didn't. And that is because um, sort of after two years of researching education, sort of being really excited about this model that was forming in our heads and how could we deliver it to large numbers of kids, COVID came along yeah. and sort of kicked us in the butt and said, okay, enough thinking about this. If there was ever a time to try an innovative approach to education that happens to be home-based and <laughs> virtual, it's now. Sure. And so after sort of a long lead-in time of research and thinking, we had a pretty short execution time between March 2020 and the beginning of September 2020, we decided we're going to launch our pilot year and we're going to recruit our first 30 or so families. And yeah, that, that was the pilot. I mean, mm. and the families knew that. The families we recruited knew that this is a test. If this doesn't go well, we will shut it down at the end of the year. And they were all, I think, willing to, particularly because of COVID, they were willing to give that a shot. And so I guess that was our pilot but it was a very real pilot because it had real kids right fortunately it worked out this isn't the first time though that you guys have launched during like a major thing wildfire launched in 2008 which you know is coming after the crash so could you speak a little bit to how it was a good time to launch you know in both of those events that was a positive thing during when times are crazy and down yeah yeah we just seem to have a habit of launching things when others would probably say, run for job security. Yeah, I mean, look, in both cases, we we launched because we identified some kind of wave that was happening or some kind mm. of shift. In the case of wildfire, it was the early days of social media marketing, and we felt like that was gonna be something that would be big. And so we pursued that space. And in the case of Prisma, we, believe, we believed and believe that a shift would take place in education there was sort of like a shock to the system that was going to create a change and sort of cause more families to consider alternative methods of education than had done before but i think there are benefits to launching a startup during a recession one of those is that this is not the case now now there's a labor crunch but usually during a recession there's uh, availability of labor that I think can be a real advantage. The other thing that is also not true right now, but it was true in 2008, was that funding was not as readily available, which I think creates more disciplined startups. Mm. It also means you have a little more time to kind of figure out your model and get it off the ground because you're not sort of facing, you know, 50 competitors that are raising <laughs> millions and millions of dollars. I mean, we did eventually face that. It didn't take too long. But, you know, you, you actually look at many of the best startups and they were founded during a recession. Mm. And I think part of it is there's more availability of talent. And, you know, the talent of your early team is crucial to your ultimate success. And there's more sort of discipline around finances because it's not as easy to just go out and raise money with, you know, a paper napkin and some idea <laughs> on it. So, yeah, but it, it was, we didn't, deliberately start businesses during a recession, but I think there's benefits to doing so. Not being teachers or school leaders or anything like that before, how did you find education experts for your team to help fill those knowledge gaps when starting? Yeah, 
Yeah, and that's been critical. I mean, our Prisma, the curriculum team and the coaches that we hired are absolutely critical to what we've built today and we wouldn't be what we are to, without finding that, those people. We put out job posts. I mean, we, we created job descriptions, we put them out to our network and then we posted online and we were really lucky to have a great deal of choice. When our first job postings that we put out for Prisma coaches, we got 1,400 applicants. So wonderful talent pool. And you know, that's one of the things that I've learned through digging more into education. The education field is full of super talented, super passionate people. Sometimes they're banging their heads against a brick wall, <laughs> but there's no shortage of talent in the education field. And you know, we tried to hire a really diverse team of some team members that had really deep experience in sort of more traditional education and one of our early team members had founded her own charter school at a pretty young age and just had really deep experience and then others that had very alternative sort of their path into education had been through really alternative methods of education and and everything in between and that mixture i think is has been really helpful at prison mm. Well, before I get to my last question, is there a call to action you'd like to leave our listeners with today? Yeah. I mean, if anything I've said sounds interesting, either because you're a parent or you're an educator, please go to our website. That is the best place to learn about Prisma. It's joinprisma.com. Joinprisma.com. We have a ton of information there and you can sign up for an info session if you really want to learn more about Prisma. But yeah, please, and please reach out if, if, what, if what we're doing sounds interesting to you. Awesome. Well, we'll put links for that in the show notes. My final question is, how can we push the world to evolve? That's that's a big one. And if I really, truly knew, then I'd be a very important person. But no, I, I have some ideas. Obviously, it's no surprise that I would say education is one of the key ways to get the world to evolve. But what I would say there is educating youth is, is critical, but we're past the point where we can keep pushing the problems of the world onto the next generation mm. like i feel like there's so often this idea of like we need to educate the next generation so they can solve the world's problems no we have problems now that this generation my generation needs to solve and so i think education of adults is a really important area mm. it's not what prisma is focusing on but re-educating adults for to cope with the changing jobs land, landscape educating people to be more informed tumors of information feels like a really essential need right now. It just feels like there's so many people putting a lot of energy into problems that are that are not real, that are based on conspiracies and this sort of thing. That's a real shame. So that's one thought, I think, education. The other thought is, and I don't exactly know how to do this, but it feels really important, is just to change our definition of success for mm. individuals, for companies, for countries, you know, the broadening from this idea that a company is successful based on their profits and their stock price. We need to be in a world where companies are also evaluated on their impact on a community, their impact on the lives of their employees, their impact on the environment uh, around them, where we need nations to be viewed as successful, not just because of their GDP, but based on the environmental health of their country on the mental health of the people in their country right. just feels like a lot of the problems in the world have can be traced back to externalities that we've never factored in that we really at a sort of systemic level 
need to be factoring in if we really are going to start to address some of the, the problems that we're seeing. So I would love to see that sort of shift. And yeah, at a personal level that we that we are not just looking at financial success as right. the metric for, for people's personal success in life, that their impact on their community, their balance that they have in their life, that these are things that young people aspire to really have, not just sort of the material trimmings that come along with, you know, salaries and high pay packages and things. Because as we all know, that's not enough to have a meaningful life. Absolutely. I think it takes us back to the beginning of the conversation, you know, not chasing grades, not chasing the high income or how much money can we make, but rather how much impact and, you know, how much fulfillment do we feel in our our own lives personally? Exactly. Yep. Totally agree. Well, wonderful, Victoria. Thank you so much for coming on today and sharing everything that you have about Prisma. I think you guys are doing amazing things. Thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to the Evolve podcast. Links to everything we discussed today are available in the show notes. Transcripts are also available in the show notes. And everything can be viewed on our website at evolvethe.world. That's evolvethe.world. My one ask for you is to share this episode with others. If you know someone who is interested in social impact, social entrepreneurship, or just making a difference in the world, please share this episode with them. The challenges in our world need all of those who can contribute to existing solutions or create entirely new ones. So please share this show with those kind, intelligent people who are just like you. Until next time, my friend, keep evolving.